0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. And welcome to those of you joining online, and welcome to you, Nathan. Thanks for the wave. Nathan waved at me today. That was very special. Um, if you have uh, your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter two. We're going to jump down in there today. Um, pretty weighty stuff. But we need to honor somebody before we we jump into the Word. So come on up here, Molly. She's already done this once, but those who serve well, the Word says, are worthy of double honor. (laughs) So come on up here. Uh, Yeah, so uh, Molly has served as our kids director for, how long did you serve? Five years. Five years. And um, I remember the first day she walked in the church. I can see it very vividly. And I remember meeting with you in the office. And you you just saying, yes, you would do it. But I don't think you realize what you were saying yes to. I called my mom. I said, I think I just took a job. She's like, what does that mean? I'm like, I'm not sure. You have done great. Um, You've loved our kids well. Um, You've led well. I have enjoyed... um, watching you grow in leadership, and you always were hungry to grow. I've enjoyed watching you grow as a disciple maker. You've been hungry for that. And you've loved me well as the pastor of the church. Um, Always esteemed me, always um, respected me, looked up to me, made me. You you boosted my confidence. You made it easier for me to lead uh, as a pastor, and that has meant a lot to me um you've loved the staff well uh we miss uh we miss your stories in staff meeting um we always do this story time in staff meeting and i would ask if anybody has any stories and um everybody will kind of go around and molly's pretty pretty much guaranteed she doesn't share a story until we start moving on and she's like oh i got a story and then she always has a great story um but uh we we do like We love you. We appreciate you. And I um, you know, I I said in the card I wrote you, I I can't really I can't I can't really put into words how much I appreciate and how I feel about you and your service. And I believe I speak on behalf of the the body for that. And I'm thankful that Um, we're, you know, we're beyond the staff relationship that our relationship started as spiritual family and has just only deepened. And so I'm just grateful for who you are. And I, we did get you a little gift and everybody's kind of wondering, we couldn't figure out what to get Molly. Okay. Shay, Shay was absolutely zero help. (laughs) Uh, And so, um, I, I thought about it and thought about it. And, um, I came up with, um, we're gonna, we did a bunch of Visa gift cards preloaded with enough, each one to cover five hours of babysittings. So she's got a whole bag full of them. And uh, so, enjoy. Woo! Oh, and there is a, there's a table... There's a table out front with the picture, and you can kind of sign it after service and let Molly know what uh, she means uh, to you. But uh, thank you again to her, and uh, let's jump down into Romans chapter 2 so we can get out to eat some lunch. I'm hungry. Amen. Amen. Okay, so last week—I got to shift gears here mentally for a second— Last week, we learned about God's wrath. Okay, we were just like jumping in there, man, like, whew, that was a deep one. And we talked about how um, the suppression of truth, the, the Lord was saying there in chapter one, that second section, how the suppression of truth leads to this irrational thought. The person just starts thinking crazy things about God and making up things in their own mind about themselves. And, and the word is really clear. It says, man, when a person rejects God, they hold down even what nature says about who God is, that there's a designer behind this thing. And that all that truth that is given to a person is held down. Then God just sort of lets a, gives a person over to depravity, um, a depraved way of thinking. If you want to reject all that I'm showing you, then in even a natural revelation, it makes it harder to receive specific revelation, which is the word, and it leads to a depraved life. And, and boy, it talked about, man, it, it, it played itself out in sexuality there. We saw how it, it, it's depraved there. But then he just goes down and he, he talks about strife and gossiping and um, slander and being disobedient to parents. And being disobedient to parents, he talked about. (laughs) (laughs) No, my kids are great. Um, Most of the time. Uh, So you know what they told me? Red Dog, they're mad at Red Dog. I'm getting off topic, but that's okay. Uh, They're mad at Red Dog because he's torn up a a couple of things of theirs. They said, this dog, man, he's cost us so much money. I said, you have no idea how much more money you've cost me than that dog. You've been tearing up stuff for twenty years, man. so anyway, leave my dog alone. They love him, they just like to be mad at him and so anyway um, we, we, we talk about like so he's showing how this stuff man this list it leads to this depraved life and and um and so we 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 look at that and we go, well, how do we know who's in this category? How do we know who's who's kind of crossed over and they're in this irrational thought process and they're they're living uh, a depraved life. And naturally, I think we want to believe we're, we're pretty good and we're not in that category, right? We, I'm not there. And chapter two, it starts to teach us how God makes a judgment about people. Like how does God look at us as people, human beings, and, and those who are like in the kingdom and those who are not? And how does he make the judgment about Um, Who is going to receive the full wrath? We know that the wrath of God is partially being revealed right now, just as the righteousness of God is partially being revealed. But on that day out in the future, there will be a time when it is fully revealed. And so how do we know um, who's in what category? And Paul, boy, he just starts and he teaches us. And he says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And so we pause right here for the first thing I want to share with you that the Lord showed me um, is that Jesus's judgment is based on truth. Uh, this this whole thing, now, you say, well, the Bible says not to judge. Well, we make judgments about sin. When you're preaching against sin, you're making a judgment about it. And there are times that we are to um, confront a brother or sister in the Lord who is um, walking in sin, and they, they claim to know the Lord. Uh, Jesus didn't say that we are to never judge um, He's that's making a judgment, you think in terms of, you know, um, before you go and speak to a brother about something, take the log out of your own eye, you know, before you go to talk to him about his own speck. And so there is a time for us to, to speak into each other's lives. But what's going on here in this thing, man, is that these people kind of had a view as Paul is writing to his audience, he's trying to get us to, to see something really clearly And that is how we make judgments, how we judge things about people. And as soon as one thinks he's right with God because he isn't as bad as others, Paul says you start to condemn yourself. So as soon as you look, you go, well, you know, I'm not that bad. Like um, I may not be perfect, but, you know, look at this guy over here. You know, you're, he says, as soon as you do that, you're condemning yourself. He intentionally writes what he does in chapter two. He starts with this, this list, man, of this perverted sexuality and this lifestyle, how it plays itself out. But then he goes all the way down through in all relationships. And we kind of see, man, whoa, you know, we, he talks, I think what we do in that list is he, he says, you know, murders. There we go. Oh, nah, I'm not in that list. He talks about gossiping. He talks about stealing. He talks about um, causing strife, uh, any kind of, again, di- being disobedient. So we go, whoa, whoa, maybe I'm not a murderer. So we like, to, we like to immediately pull ourselves out of the list. But Paul is like, he's put it all in there, and he's, he's done it in such a way that it's sort of like a, a rhetorical question. He wants to elicit the response from the people who are reading and say, no, I'm not like that. That's not me. I'm good, because I look at that, and that list has got some pretty bad people on it, and surely I wouldn't be in that category, right? And Paul says, you have no excuse. As soon as you think that you are not as bad as someone else, you've started the process of condemning yourself. And, and he's showing us, what, the, the reason he's doing that is he's trying to give us um, an understanding of God's judgment and how flawed we are as humans, and how different God is from us. And uh, a practicing Jew would have read that and heard him le- read that list out there, and they would have been like, amen. And Paul says, but you're passing judgment on people, and you're doing the very th- things that they're doing. And, and the, the deal is, is that man looks at others, and then he makes a judgment about himself. So he, that's just naturally what we do. But God, he doesn't do that. God doesn't go, well, you know, I look at this guy and he, he's done some pretty messed up things. But geez, look at this guy over here. This guy, I, I think he'd be all right. Let's let him in. This guy, no. That's not what God does. He doesn't care anything about taking that person and comparing them to that person. What he does is he makes a judgment based on truth, what actually is. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's talking about truth in a different way when he talks about that. This is just, God, God is able, you see, to see all of the evidence. He, he looks at everything about the person, and, and he's saying that the judgment will be made just on actually what is true about every single person. And that's very important because we can't do that. Uh, we, we, as a matter of fact, we don't do that. Some people, they will get our grace and they will do something that, that, uh, that ticks us off and we don't like what they do, but we like, we like some things about them and we'll be like, don't, don't worry about it, bro. Okay? And then some people that we don't like could do the very same thing and we look at them and they we they, they get the full wrath of our that's in, in us because we don't like them So we, that's how we make judgment. We, we make judgments based upon what we see in other people. And God just makes a judgment. He just looks at the person, every person, and he makes the same judgment about each one. He doesn't compare anyone to anyone else. And then he says in verse three, do you think you will escape God's judgment? So these people who were Um, thinking to themselves, well, you know, as he asks this this question or he presents this dilemma and it immediately causes us to go, I'm not like that. He says, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And the answer is, is no, none of us will. Even the believer who knows Jesus has his own judgment to face. Now the difference is, is there are two judgments that are described in Scripture. One is the um, the throne, great white throne judgment, that is the separation of the sheep and the goats. What is that? Well, it's the sheep belong to Christ and the goats do not. Okay, you 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 definitely want to uh, be a sheep and not a goat. And but that is a. A judgment about the eternal destiny of a person. There is also the judgment of believers that is the bema seat of Christ, where we will give an account for the lives that we lived and, and how we walked out in faith, what Christ did in our lives. And so, boy, that's like challenging as we look at that and go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be judged on these things. And so, um, so Paul, he's saying to us, first of all, Jesus' judgment is based on truth, and none of us are going to escape that judgment. And then he goes on and he says in verse 4 Do you show or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Here's the second takeaway Jesus' kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Now we look at the world and we often ask, Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? It's the wrong question. The question is, why does God allow any good at all to happen to anyone? Like, why would, God, why would God allow any good? If we look at what humanity does, and we even look internally at our own selves, if God is completely 100% perfect and holy, as, as I believe he is, and I look at my own life, and I have in any one way stumbled, why would God do anything good for me? Why would God do anything good for you? Why would God do anything for, good for a person um, that knows him or a person who doesn't know him? So we look and we go, why does, why, does, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Why does God let good things happen to bad people is really the question. Because we're all bad. And that's what Paul is doing he's going to demonstrate to us that here in a moment that one um, famous scripture, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. We're all apart from him. And so what he wants us to see is that the the kindness of God is intended to lead us to a place of repentance. So we established last week that the righteousness of God, or week one, or a couple weeks ago, the righteousness of God is partially being revealed in the lives of believers. Um, The wrath of God, we learned last week that the wrath of God, both in unbelievers and believers, The wrath of God is being partially believed or or partially revealed. How is it being revealed in in a believer's life? Well, if I'm disciplined of the Lord for my disobedience because I'm a child of his, I'm experiencing something of uh, his displeasure, just like my kids would experience it for me if they're walking in disobedience to me. I'm trying to help them and shape them to become what I believe is a responsible human being. And so, so we, we see that it's partially revealed. But in the future on that day, and, God, and Paul continues to build this case, out there in the future, there's coming a day where God will unleash all of his righteousness, all of his glory, and all of his wrath on that day in the future. But right now he's holding it back. And why is he holding it back? He is um, holding um, it back because his kindness is intended to lead us to a place of repentance. God would that all men would repent and not perish. That's the heart of God. But he's also given us the freedom of choice where we can choose whether or not we do repent. So what is repentance? Well, repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia. And what it means is that we have a change of mind. We change our minds about the way we're thinking about something. And and if that's the case, if God's kindness is intended to lead me to repentance, then repentance should consistently be a part of my life. And I would submit to you that it is a part of my life. I'm consistently having to repent of things in my life, whether it's somebody that I don't like the way they're driving and something comes out of my mouth that condemns the person as if I'm better. Like... (laughs) you're sitting at a stoplight, man, you're in a hurry. And the guy in front of you, the light turns green. You know, it's a short light. You only got a certain amount of time to get through there. And you could tell the guy's looking at his phone and your immediate thought is what the idiot you're supposed to be driving. Right. And then, except for when we're the guy looking at the phone and somebody's honking at us. We don't think we're the idiot, but we think the people doing it. That's that's what Paul's trying to show us, man. He's like um, uh, he, he's he's saying that we we need to not be people like that. We don't need to be condemning people, but we do, right? We we. And so, uh, what what is what is his kindness designed to do? His kindness in my moment when I realize I've just called somebody who's created in his image an idiot is to back up and go. I'm an idiot in your sight. I'm always looking at my phone, but you're kind to me. And so I repent in that moment and I ask the Lord to help me to control my mouth. I see in me that I will condemn people for all kinds of things. And usually what I condemn them for is the things that I don't like about myself. And, and so his kindness is designed to lead us to this place he's holding back so that we have this place of, or this, 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 this thing of repentance happening inside of us. And Paul, boy, he, he just keeps on building it. is, God wants us to be the type of people that understand his grace so much and what he has covered in our lives that, that we are able to walk out this, this, this thing of repentance. And he, and he builds it, but he says that, and who reject the truth and follow evil there will be wrath and anger there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil first for the Jew then for the Gentile but glory honor and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew then for the Gentile for God does not show favoritism now at first reading of this uh, passage that that particular section it sounds like well, if people do enough good, they can, they can be right with God. That's what it sounds like being say, said here. Or, or if people do bad, that they, they uh, can't be right with God. But we already know that what Paul said in the introduction of his letter to this Roman church that the just shall live by faith. And he will continue to build that case, that, that we're saved by grace. So he's definitely not saying that our performance is what saves us. But he is saying that there's a difference in the way a person lives. And he says that he says that, that God will repay each p- person according to what they have done. And so here's your third takeaway. Jesus will give back what we gave. Whatever you give Jesus is what you're getting back. It comes from the word um, repay there is "apodidomai," and it means literally just to give back. What, whatever is given is given back. And so it's not talking about money or service or anything like that. It's talking about faith. And so this one group of people is described as people who seek glory, honor, and immortality. So there's a different way that they're living. And this other group of people is described as people who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil. So he's not just talking about do-gooders and non-do-gooders. He's talking about a person whose life we look at as a whole. This is what their life is about and this is what that person's life is about, and and I I think what we need to be clearly recognize is that everyone is saving, but not everyone is saved. We're all saving up, okay, and the saved people who are saved from the wrath of God are storing up greater wrath for themselves, and the people or or did I say saved people? Okay, they're they're not they're not storing up wrath. They're storing up glory. The unsaved are storing up wrath. So we're all saving. And we need to understand, well, what is the difference of that? Because again, this section is about God making a judgment. Who, who is where? And he says, I, God doesn't show, he doesn't, there are no there's no favoritism with God. Does, God doesn't just look at one. See, we look at one guy and go, "I like spending time with that guy. I don't like spending time with that guy." It starts very. We have favoritism built into us. Like we're gonna pick um, who we want to pick. All the kids line up, and you hope you're not the last kid picked. Like Shay was every year, every time. Uh, no. And so you. But but we we have favorites, and we pick different people we want to be with, and people we don't want. Like with some people we don't. God doesn't do that. Everybody's his favorite. Everybody. Everybody is an image bearer of God. So, God, what does He do? He makes a judgment based on truth as He looks into our lives. And He's saying that there are some people who are all about giving me glory and um, surrendering to me. And there are other people that are just all about themselves. And, and, and the really what He's trying to like to help illustrate this is every human being, without question, has a throne room. You have a throne of your life, okay? And either Jesus is sitting on that throne or you are. Now, a believer, someone who has come to a point where they recognize who Jesus is, that he was God in the flesh, that he died on the cross of Calvary for their sins, they have submitted to Christ, they've died to themselves, and they've put Jesus on the throne. They have not rejected Jesus' as true. An unbeliever has not done that. They don't even think about it. They may even totally reject Jesus. Now, a believer, though, since his, he recognizes or she recognizes that God's kindness is intended to bring him to repentance, what they do is, is we're not talking about a person in this um, case uh, who is, who's, who's re- reached a place where they don't sin. What we're talking about is a person who recognizes that Jesus is Lord. I've died to myself and there will be occasions in a person's life when as believers that they that they take Jesus off the throne in some areas and and they don't recognize it and through the leading of the holy spirit and and the conviction of the holy spirit they recognize Jesus Jesus is not on the throne of my life right here like the instance I was describing about driving and getting frustrated with somebody in front of you. It's like, for me, that that happens. That happens frequently. It happened this week. And I always try to like r- recognize when that comes out of my mouth, Jesus is not on the throne of my life right there. He just does. He's not sitting on the throne of the w- words that are coming out of my mouth. Now, he is still Lord to me. And the way that I know that he is Lord is that in that moment, instead of just being okay, I can recognize, why am I talking like that, Lord? My thought immediately goes to the Lord, and I'm like, why is that coming out of my mouth? And I begin to see, um, I begin to see again the grace of God that has covered my life, and I repent and say, Lord, help me to have better control of my mouth. I don't wanna think of people that way. I don't want to have this uh, condemning spirit. A person who is self-seeking not only like, will get frustrated at that person, they're liable to chase them down. They're liable to um, give them the finger. They're liable to like, let it set their whole day just blown up. And you say, why are you preaching at me today, Pastor? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm preaching at you is because you're not, if you're doing that, if, if if your life is being held by those kind of things, and that just gets you all messed up, it is because you are not keeping Jesus on the throne. You may have put him there, but you're trying, to get, you're trying to usurp his authority in your life and you're trying to get where you want to be. And he's like, "Say, hey, no, you need to have this life of repentance where you recognize when um, you are getting off and, and, and you confess your sin and I will help you in the midst of that. And his kindness is to lead us to repentance. His judgment is based on truth. He gives back according to what we gave. And so when we look at that and we go, when he makes his judgment, he's going to go, men. If you gave me glory in your life, you're going to get the glory of Christ at the end. If you rejected me, all you're going to have at the end is yourself alone, nobody else. So it's not going to be like, oh, you're over here with all of these people. And all of you guys are judged at the same time for rejecting Jesus. And now you form a community. The only reason people who don't know Jesus have community right now, you want to know what it is? the kindness of god so that they might come to a place of repentance but when we get to the end it's not all of the unbelievers are over here and they they go form a community that uh, doesn't do church stuff no man it's one person before the god of the universe and that person will stand and give an account to that to the creator of the universe based on what they did with their, uh, who Christ was, whether or not they knew him. And, and the way that we know a person knows Christ is they develop a life of repentance. Like it's just something that's a part of them is, is, is you can see it because that's how fruit is produced in their life. And Paul will go on to show us that here in a moment. And then a person who doesn't know Christ is just all about themselves. And, and, and so we, uh, we look at that and go, well, God doesn't show favoritism. So God, like for me, I would look at a person and, and maybe, you know, maybe they're, they're guilty of something, and I would have compassion, and I would, I would be like, well, can we be a little lenient here? You would too, I would, I would hope. God cannot do that. The moment God is lenient with someone just because they're a good old boy, he is no longer holy. He can't be holy. The only thing that he can accept is atonement for the person's sin. There must be atonement, or there has to be consequences. At any point that there's not consequences, then God is not basing on or j- making a judgment based on truth. He will just make the judgment based on what is. What is. Not not even like I, I think in one of the saddest days in God is God's existence will probably be with all those who have rejected him have to suffer separation from him. But it is just, it is right, it is good, because God is good. He's not like us. And and so we look and we go, okay, I would be left alone to myself. I wouldn't receive the glory of God. I wouldn't receive the glory of Christ because I didn't give my life to invest my life into the glory of Christ. I wasn't truly one of his. And And again, we'll see how that happens. But here's your next takeaway. (laughs) Jesus has full access. This is all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on that day when God judges people's secret thoughts through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So what's going on here? Well, Paul, right now, he's distinguishing between the Jew and the Gentile. What is a Gentile? A Gentile is anybody who is not Jewish, okay, in this context. And he's saying that even the Gentiles, or the Jew was given the law through the time of Moses that taught to people, this is how you live for God. The Gentile was not given that. The Gentile was never expected to live by the law. But the Jew was expected to live by the law and also to help the Gentile understand who God was. But Paul is saying that even the Gentile who didn't have the law, God has written the moral law on his heart. One of the reasons we could go and go, how do we, uh, a truth claim for the existence of God? How do we know God exists? One reason is we have the natural created order. We talked about that last week. but and so we we had the laws of nature we see but we had the moral law every <laughs> it doesn't matter what culture you go into it doesn't matter whether it was a christian culture or not a christian culture every culture thinks it's wrong to murder why because it's written on their hearts every culture thinks that it's wrong to steal They know that when somebody has taken something that wasn't theirs, it was mine. Why? We have this word that ought. You ought not do that. Why do we have the word ought? It's just there. Why do we all feel this? It's because God has written the moral law in our hearts. It's a part of who we are. And, and, and so Paul is saying in this section, man, that, that people who are Gentiles who were not even given the law from me to speak specifically to them during the Old Testament, they still could know because their conscience even will convict them of right or wrong. And so he's making the comparison of people who, who, who think they're in and people that, 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 that they think they're out because of what they've received, and he's, he's going he's to build this case that it has nothing to do with any of that. And, and, and then he says that Jesus, um, your secrets, your secret thoughts will be judged through Jesus. And, and, and all of that, he's saying, it's not those who hear that are righteous in God's sight. You may come here. You may come here every week. You may hear me preach 75 sermons in the next three years. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. You may read the word all the time. You may listen to podcasts. That's not it. You must obey Now, this is not a perfect person. As we were describing earlier, it's a person who understands and is able to repent. But it is a transformed person. It is a person that is not the same anymore. Okay? He's changed. And humans are skilled at thinking they are good to go. I'm a pretty good old boy. (laughs) Listen. People don't, like, when someone dies... They all go up. When's the last time you heard someone talk about, yeah, so and so? I I think he—he didn't know the Lord. It's because we naturally want to think that. We naturally go there, and we're and we're skilled at thinking we are good to go, especially individually. And we usually land there because we compare ourselves to others. I'm not as like. I've got to be okay. I mean, at least, you know, I understand that some of these people got to go, but I'm not one of them. What's going on inside your soul may be encrypted to others. You can hide it from me, but not Jesus. And this whole section is about looking deep within. So it's about every individual turning an inward eye, and Jesus judges our secrets. The word that is used there for secrets is the word cryptos hidden or concealed. It's the same word that we would use for encrypting something. That's where that word has its root in that. And so we have our phones and you look at it and it's unlocked. You can get access to all kinds of things. You cannot get in my phone without my face, right? But Jesus, as, as the one who has created us, he has full access because he's made atonement for the sins of all human beings. And so he is able to look at our lives the same way that we would look at a phone and open it up and have access to all that it can do. He just looks and he sees everything. Nothing in all of creation is is hidden from Christ. And so that the remainder of the chapter sort of serves as an illustration that, man, we're talking about some serious stuff today. Yeah, it's not the, hey, you can be a good husband. Hey, you can be a good kid, man. God has great dreams for you. We're talking about the eternal destination of your soul. It's heavy, I know. I'm just teaching straight from the word of God. And so as we think about, what does this mean for me? It's important for us to recognize, man, God is clearly showing through the Apostle Paul how he will make judgments about people who do know him and people who don't know him. And the remainder of the chapter as we land this thing, it's sort of, for me, as I read it, it serves as an illustration. It serves as an illustration of how this thing plays itself out. Now, when he's talking about the Jews... You have to understand the church is just coming out of the ground. It's just starting to grow, and and so now, like we, you'll see at the end of this section, I'm about to read is that what a true Jew is, and so a believer now the church, like you could you could you could say in a lot of these places where he says the Jews, you could say the church, the church is this, the church is that, because now. Christians are the new Jerusalem, okay? And so he says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written... God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And this is where he starts to to talk about the differences of the two groups. And he says, circumcision, which was the mark of the Jewish people, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements... Will they not be regarded as those, as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. here's Here's where the rubber meets the road. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. You see what he did there? He's like, you guys are looking at other people. You need to be looking up. You don't need to be looking out. And and he's saying the Jewish people that they had come to this place where they thought that they were right with God just because God had moved in their lives and they had this rite of circumcision, and and he's like you're just practicing something. And and what is the whole message that is being said there? It's not what church you belong to. And so I ask a person, tell me about your relationship Jesus with Jesus. Well, I was baptized when I was seven. Well, I was baptized as an infant. Well, I grew up Catholic. I was confirmed at this age, and I took my first communion here. Who cares? Who cares is what Paul is saying. Well, I went to the Baptist church. I went to the the Presbyterian church. I grew up Methodist. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Like one who is circumcised outwardly may not be circumcised inwardly. You say, well, I go to OPCC, and man, they preach the word over there. Who cares? Do you obey it? You see, you got to be able to hear and obey. And then obedience sounds so difficult. It sounds so insurmountable. It's not what church you belong to. It's not what you say you possess. the, The Jewish people said, we have the law. Now, I got my grandma's Bible. She prayed for me all the time. We're not talking about your grandma. We're talking about you. doesn't matter what you possess. It doesn't matter if you say, well, I was saved. I remember I, I, remember I did this. Listen, there's a lot of people that remember they did something. That's not going to get it done. I prayed a prayer. I asked Jesus to forgive me. It's not how you perceive yourself. It's not how others perceive you. It's what you in fact are that matters. You see, the big idea of today's talk, to be righteous in God's sight, the spirit must cut your heart. Or you can't hear and obey. You only get frustrated. It all feels like religion. You don't even want to obey. You think it's stupid. You don't even know why people do it. It's because you've never been cut. By the Spirit. But when you are cut by the Spirit, which is a circumcision of the heart. That's, that's what he's saying here. It's like he was, he's addressing all these people who thought they were, they were right with God because outwardly they were doing all these things. And I, I fear that the same thing has happened in the Western church. There's so many people that think they're right with God because they go to church. <laughs> and Paul is saying, man only the spirit like let me read it again no person is a jew who is one inwardly and circum uh, or in, and not the by the written well i lost one. no person is a jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit not the written code so it's not church membership it's not confirmation it's a cutting. It is a surgical, spiritually, a surgery surgery that the spirit cuts your heart. And that which did not beat and bleed for Jesus now does. And now... Like, I want to hear and obey. I've been transformed. The, the scripture says that he who is in Christ is transformed. The old is gone. He's a new creature. The new has come. I have died in Christ. Christ has been risen in me. And Paul will go on, man. He will he will hammer us with some more theology about the judgment and things like that. But then he, what he's doing is he's trying to help us see, man. Like, unless the spirit of God touches your life, then you can't, you can't be seen as righteous in God's sight. And this is a vulnerable thing to experience. It's vulnerable for you as a man or a woman to bow your head before the creator of the universe and say, I am broken. I am a sinner. I need you. And you see, why I've given my life to the preaching and teaching of the gospel is because, like, it's the most important thing in the world. Like, it's the most important thing in our existence. Is I know that there's so many moments where the Holy Spirit is walking up to a person and they've got the spiritual scalpel and they're ready to cut your heart but he won't cut it if you keep it back it's your heart to give it's not his heart to take and as he pursues you and he wants you, there's this beautiful thing that where we can step into it and we can become vulnerable and say, I trust you, Jesus. I want to know you. I don't know you. I I, I recognize that all people are sinners. I recognize I fall in that category and I need you. And as you step into that, man, and you're vulnerable and the spirit of God comes in, I, I really can't, like, my job as a pastor, as a part of my job in teaching is for the last 30 years, man, I've, try- I've tried, I've trying to perfect that of uh, my ability to teach that. And I can't, like, it's so hard to say, I can't explain to you what the Lord did to me. Like I can teach you from the word, I could pray for you. And some of you I've just labored over. But at the end of the day, the spirit has to step in and cut your heart and you have to be willing for him to do it. And when he does, oh, for the joy of heaven over one lost sinner who's repented and come home and now they bear and are seen as righteous in God's sight and the righteousness of God is revealed in their hearts. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Has the spirit of the Lord cut your heart? Are you just trying to do good or have you been changed? Listen, I'm available to meet and help you. There's tons of people in this church that would help you on that journey. I could ask you to raise your hand and say, man, I want to receive Jesus. Listen, if the spirit cuts your heart, I don't need to ask you to raise your hand. You'll come and tell me. I just got saved. And that's the church I'm trying to build It's people who are filled with the Lord. And so, uh, man, we'll rest in that moment. And if the Lord is trying to cut your heart, let him do so. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. May we walk in it, Lord. May we understand how short life is and how important what we're talking about is in the grand scheme of things. And Lord, may you, may you continue to pour your spirit out upon this place. Draw the people in, this community that want to see your kingdom spread in a special way. And help us, Lord, to hear your voice, to hear and obey. We love you and thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.